Welcome back to another edition of the BrownZone.com Zone Coverage Podcast. My name is Andy Bullbarch, and I am joined alongside Scott Petrick with the Chronicle Telegram, the Medina Gazette, and of course, BrownZone.com. I should probably rephrase that. We're not necessarily alongside one another. We're practicing this whole social distancing thing right now, aren't we? That's correct. I am uh, on my lazy boy, and I assume you're in the studio. That is 100% correct. That's exactly where we're at. And, well, the Browns have kind of been all over the place. They have been very, very active in free agency, Scott, and that's going to dominate most of our discussion today. And let's start right here. As active as they've been, I think there were a lot of fans that went into this entire offseason with a little bit of trepidation, knowing that they're going through another regime change, and they weren't quite sure what to expect. Scott, is this kind of what you expected this regime to do at the start of this whole free agency process? Uh, that's a great question, Bull. I, I guess you just never know when you have a first-time general manager like you have an Andrew Barry. So to say I knew exactly how he'd proceed, I don't think I could say that. Um, I like the plan. I'll say that. I think it was the right combination of aggressive, out-of-the-gate, signing tight end Austin Hooper, and right tackle Jack Conklin right away, I think, sent sent a good message and set a good tone for how this Andrew Bay regime is going to be. Um, and then I think he spent the rest of last week signing guys to a bunch of one-year contracts, um, defensive guys at areas of need, safety, linebacker, even a kick returner. So I think maybe he was more aggressive than I would have thought, just having not seen how Andrew Barry's done is. You know, this is the first time he's been in charge of the football department. But impressed, and especially impressed with, I think you can tell that he had a plan. And I think he was able to execute that plan. And we'll talk about these guys more, but it starts with Conklin and Hooper. You you said, okay, we need a big-time right tackle. We need to upgrade tight end. And he went and got arguably the best players at both of those positions in trade. Let's start with Conklin. Because I think far and away that was the biggest acquisition in terms of need and the best player available at that particular position. Outside of him, who else really stands out amongst the guys that they have signed over the last week? Well, yeah, let me just touch on Conklin real quick. First of all, three years, $42 million. Now, his agent, Drew Rosenhaus, said they chose to go shorter term because he wants to get back out on the free agent market in three years. He'll only be 28. Sets himself up for another huge contract. They expect the salary cap to continue to increase, especially after there's a new TV deal, right? The NFL is going to go negotiate with the TV networks for a new contract. And if there's billions and billions, then that'll trickle down to the players. Uh, Drew Rosenhaus wanted that flexibility in three years. But the $14 million a year is the key number there. And, you know, there is people thinking that Conklin could sign for 16, 18 million a year. So for Barry to get him at 14, I think it's huge. You lock him in at right tackle, and then it gives you flexibility on what you want to do at left tackle. We assume that's going to come through the draft, but maybe it doesn't have to come at number 10 now. Maybe you can trade down to 17 or 19, or Isaiah Simmons at 10 and trade back up from 41 to 25. You get an Austin Jackson out of USC or a Josh Jones out of Houston that second tier of tackles. And maybe it's not an elite left tackle right away, but you love the potential, and you can live with that because you think you have an elite right tackle. 
So that's my take on Conklin. And then Hooper is the biggest, the next biggest get. And from a salary perspective, he certainly is. It's four years, $42 million, so 10 and a half a year. Puts him at the first or second spot across the league in tight end salary, um, which is kind of an interesting market because there hasn't been a huge tight end contract. Like we've seen all these, a lot of other positions skyrocket over the last five years, and tight end hadn't. And now Travis Kelsey will sign a huge deal, and he'll surpass Hooper and George Kittle in San Francisco when those guys come up for free agency. But for now, I think the Browns did a good job. They could set the market a little bit. They have the salary cap space. And Hooper's a guy that's he's not just a pass catcher. He gives you the versatility to block. Two Pro Bowl the last two years. 75 touches, I want to say, last year in Atlanta. Set career highs and touches and yardage and touchdowns. A guy really coming into his own. Again, Mike Conklin, only, only 25 years old. And Kevin Stefanski, the new coach, wants to run a bunch of two tight ends. And he did that in Minnesota. And I just don't think the Browns had the guys on the roster where he could do it. Yes, David Njoku has potential. It sounds like the Browns are going to keep him, right? I was told right away after Hooper signed, Njoku still has a very important role in this offense. But he can't do it alone, and I don't think you want him being your number one guy. I think Hooper can be the number one guy, and then you let Njoku kind of play off for Hooper. So, to me, it's Conklin and Hooper. And then a bunch of other signings. You know, we could talk about Case Keenum if you want a backup quarterback. Um, but it, the headliners are Conklin and Hooper for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And, you know, I, I think everybody looks at what they did on the defensive side of things. And there's some names that might not be nearly as exciting. But at the same time, there were guys they definitely needed with B.J. Goods and, of course, Carl Joseph. But as long as we're talking about the defensive side of the ball, there are a lot of people split as to what they should do with Olivier Vernon. What do you think the ultimate result is with Olivier Vernon? Do you think he stays or goes? Yeah, you know, my thinking has changed on that, Bull. Like, you see the contract, and I think it's $15.25 million for 2020. You see, well, this guy was hurt at the end of last year. His sack numbers were down. I think he had three and a half sacks. And you say, how can you pay that guy $15 million? Well, the flip side of that is, Somebody's got to play the end opposite Miles Garrett. And it better be somebody worthwhile. If not, Garrett's going to be double and triple teamed, and he'll be less effective. The other guy doesn't scare anybody. And all of a sudden, you're wasting your best defensive option in Miles Garrett. So I feel like the fact that the Browns didn't cut Vernon before free agency just signals to me that, number one, they're willing to keep him. Doesn't mean they will keep him when we get to the season, but they're willing to entertain that idea until they find a a suitable replacement. And the fact is, I don't know if that replacement is out there, right? You look at the free agency market right now. You got Jadavian Clowney and Everson Griffin. Those are like the top two pass rushers left on the market. Well, Clowney's probably an upgrade over Vernon, but he's going to want the same kind of money, if not more than Vernon, and he's going to want a long-term deal. Where Vernon, you're only tied in for 2020. You can bring him back. He's still a solid starter in this league if he stays healthy. And I think you have a decent bookend for Garrett. Where you clown you'd have to sink a bunch of money into. You commit to him for, whatever, three, four years, and you're kind of tied down. Where Vernon, if he plays for you this year, you cut him. 
you're then eligible for a compensatory pick in 2000, whatever, that would be 22. Um, and I'm not crazy about stockpiling those, but that is a consideration to keep in mind. Griffin is 32 years old. Um, if you can get him for a two-year deal worth $16 million, maybe you sign that and then you dump Vernon. But unless you have a guy that you can plug into the lineup, I'm not just dumping Vernon to save that room, especially because you're only – you only have to pay him for one more year. And you need that guy opposite Garrett, like I said. Chad Thomas is the number three right now on the roster, and I don't want him being my starter. He's fine in a rotation, but he's not my number two. He's not the pass rush threat to scare other offenses. So more and more, I'm starting to think that Olivier Vernon could be back as your starting defensive end opposite Garrett. You wonder, too. How much they'll look at defensive line and potential upgrades there as we get closer to the draft, and I'm sure that's something that we'll discuss. But what other areas do you think they should address before we get to the draft, which is rapidly approaching now just about a month away? Right. Well, I think you're right. I think they'll keep exploring options at end. I don't think there's a ton of great pass rushers in the draft. Um, But there's always a trade possibility, right? Maybe they trade for a defensive end, and that frees up, that that lets you cut – Vernon, but just looking at free agency in the draft, I think if Andrew Bear is going to cut Vernon, he's going to have to, be, have to be creative to find the guy to step in. And then when we're talking about other areas they need to address, I think you could still sign a left tackle for the right price, and then that gives you all kinds of flexibility in the draft. Maybe you can agree to a one-year deal with Jason Peters for $14 million, and all of a sudden you have your left tackle, and then you can draft a guy to sit behind him for a year and learn and grow, and then you don't have to do it at number 10. That frees you up to do whatever you want at number 10. Um, more pressing needs would be they still need another starting safety. They have Carl Joseph. They have Andrew Sandejo. But Sandejo, to me, is a rotational guy, and I'm not sure you're ready to hand a starting spot to Sheldrick Redwine, fourth-round pick a year ago. So I could see them looking to sign another safety. Maybe you trade for Anthony Harris of Minnesota. The Vikings put the franchise tag on him to keep him off the free agent market, but they're willing to trade him. And if you can get him for a fourth-round pick, and then you're going to have to pay him, but I could see that scenario working out. Kevin Stefanski knows him well. Um, Coaches on the defensive staff know him well. So I think that's a guy to keep an eye on. And I think you need more help at linebacker. You know, you mentioned B.J. Goodson before. Um, he signed a one-year deal, but he's a situational type player, and he played most of his snaps last year in Green Bay against the run, right, first down. Well, we know how this league works. You need guys that can run at linebacker, and you play so much two-linebacker nickel that I'm not sure Goodson fits in that role. So you have Mac Wilson, and you feel relatively comfortable there. You don't know what you have in Sione Takitaki. Can he run well enough to play in those nickel spots? He didn't do that job last year. Um, So I think you need to find another linebacker. And then pass rusher, which you talked about, even if you keep Vernon, you need more pass rushers. Um, They signed Andrew Billings to give him that third tackle in the defensive tackle rotation. I like that move. Um, And then maybe another receiver. Do you wait till the draft? Do you find a third receiver right now to pair with Beckham and Landry? It's not a priority because you have your two starters and you're going to use a lot of two tight ends and you have two running backs and you got a fullback, but you need some depth there. I mean, those are kind of the areas I'm looking at right now, but it would be 
left tackle, linebacker safety, whether or not it's free agency, trade, or the draft. Well, Scott, I want to throw this one last question at you here. This will be the last topic that we tackle here for today, but this has some layers to it. So about a year ago at this time, the deal went down for Odell Beckham Jr., and the optimism in an offseason was probably about as high as it had been in recent memory, probably going back on a decade, and I think that's fairly safe to say. How do you feel about the roster today at this point heading into 2020 compared to what it looked like a year ago? That's a great question. That's a little thought piece there. Um, I think I felt better about it a year ago, and maybe that's because of the buzz of the OBJ trade, right? And they just landed Vernon, and you felt like, oh, my gosh, they got this big-time receiver. They got this end to go with Garrett. And it just felt like John Dorsey had this team – on a upswing, right? Coming off of seven, eight, and one. Um, I think now when you look back, I think there's more holes. You know, a guy like Demaryius Randall, at the time you thought, okay, this is a long-term answer at free safety. And now a year later he's, gonna, he's a free agent and the Browns aren't going to resign him. You thought maybe Joe Schobert and Christian Kirksey were the future at linebacker, or at least solid guys for the time being. Both those guys are gone. And you kind of see that across the roster. Chris Hubbard at right tackle, you had to replace with Conklin. Greg Robinson at left tackle, now you have to replace. So I think some of the sure things we felt like a year ago turned out not to be sure things. Um, that doesn't mean this roster is poor, in really bad shape. I just think there's more holes than I would have imagined a year ago. And you know, part of that is John Dorsey, right? I liked a lot of moves he made. But some of the moves he made didn't stick. Um, you know, you don't have a right guard now because he traded Zeitler for Vernon. Uh, you know, we, we can go through and through all his picks, but I would say I probably felt better a year ago. But having said that, it was probably a false sense of security a year ago. And I think moving forward, the Browns' building blocks are in place, and at least those are established. And now it becomes building depth and kind of building around those guys that we all think are going to be here for the long term. Do you feel at least a little bit better, though, about the way this roster is structured, also knowing that there's probably a little bit more in the way of draft capital? For example, not only do you have a first-round pick this year, but you've got a top-ten pick as well, and you're also drafting pretty high in the second round, at least as of now. So, I mean, I think a lot of fans look at it that way. The fact that, yeah, last year that was a big splash move, getting Odell Beckham Jr., they got Olivier Vernon, and I think everybody felt great about it a year ago. But the more you talk to people, the more you get the idea that, people seem to be at least a little bit more excited. Could be a prisoner of the moment type deal. I'm not quite sure. But it seems like people are a little more optimistic because it seems like they filled a lot of holes this year. Maybe not with as many marquee names, but they've also got a lot more draft capital this year than they had last year. Yes, that's true, right? They didn't have that number one pick, that first round pick last year. You had to wait for the Greedy Williams. Um, It's 46, I think it was. So, yeah, I would say I agree with that. I think they still have plenty of salary cap space. They have that capital at the top of the draft, four picks. I think it's within the first 97 picks. So I would say that, and I would also say that given another year, you really know what you have, right? So you know, you think you know Denzel Ward's, you know, sure thing at corner as long as he can stay healthy, 
right? You know what you have in Nick Chubb. We knew he was good as a rookie. Now you know, oh my gosh, he's a top two or three or five running back in the league. And I think you can say that about different guys on your roster. So I, I would say it's that's fair to say. I would feel I feel like it's more solid. I think last year there was so much excitement and hype that turned out not to be true. And this, you know, maybe it's prisoner of the moment again, but this does feel more real. I, I do think you have a point there for sure. Well, and we'll certainly get into that in a future episode for sure. And I know in the next few weeks here, we'll get into some potential draft prospects as we get closer to the draft, which again is just about a month away. Well, Scott, as always, we appreciate the time. We will certainly get back to recording one of these again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Scott. Again, that's Scott Petrek, the Browns beat reporter for the Chronicle Telegram, the Medina Gazette, and of course, brownzone.com. That'll wrap up today's edition of the brownzone.com zone coverage podcast. For Scott Petrak, this is Andy Bullbarch saying thank you again for tuning in to today's show. We'll catch all of you again next week.